Hello from Edel in the Peak District, where this episode was recorded at Amarin Acres with Jess, who offers equine facilitated learning. Jess tells us why she wanted to change careers from working in market research, how illness has affected her life, what has helped her through challenging times, and how she takes care of herself alongside family life and running a business. At the end, she offers you a question and excellent advice. Make yourself a big brew for this one. How did horses first come into your life? I'm aware that my first experience with horses was when I was about 18 months old. I ran away from my mum, ran under a fence and went up to a shy horse and started stroking its knee. My mum was terrified because she had no experience of horses whatsoever and was really scared I was going to get killed. And I didn't. I just stood there and stroked this horse's knee and apparently put his huge head down and looked at me. I obviously don't remember that experience, um, but I think that was the beginning of me really, really falling in love with them for their nature, for their... There's something about being in a horse's presence that makes me feel calm and 100% myself which I haven't found anywhere else as easily. Wow. Um, so then from there, I rode a little, I lived in Homefirth at that point and until I was about six. So used to ride horses in the village occasionally, moved to Sheffield, had riding lessons and then helped out in animal sanctuary for years where I got to meet a lot of abused, neglected and traumatised horses, which was really interesting for me because you really get to know them on a personal level and know them as know their soul you know really know who they are and I think that is where I fell in love fully with just what horses can offer and how incredible they are even though I rode I don't think riding's ever been my passion I've never been very comp- competitive. I've never been interested in going to shows. I have done a, a little bit, but riding's been an addition to actually spending time with them. How do you get to know a horse? Patience. Allowing them to be themselves. I meet some horses who have been shut off from who they are because they've been trained into a role they're shut down you know they they exist they do what they're told they have you know manners and things but they're actually shut down I've seen them especially in petting zoos where they're just constantly in a stable and you know people just at them all the time really other horses who are ridden not all some horses who are ridden and in competition they are allowed to be themselves they're allowed time to run around and be horses and be free and just see how they interact watch their behavior get to know them I suppose in a way you would a person have a conversation with them probably more about body language than a verbal conversation. How do you spend time with them when you're here on your own? It's a mixture. Because of the job and the role, and sometimes this has been quite challenging actually, I am here as a chore, you know, I'm doing the chores, I'm poo picking, I'm brushing, and sometimes I have to really sort of check in with myself and go, you're just on a roll here, you need to stop and just pause and be in the moment, be in the moment with the horses. Sometimes I'm here for my own stuff, you know, I, I, I get away from a busy home life and come and just sit for a moment and be quiet. And that's, they're the special moments, just being with them. I'm here with them through my, my own 
challenges through other people's challenges obviously with the when when we're here with work with my children they come ride and and spend time with them and that's a, a whole different way of being with them you know they've built some really special relationships with my kids which is lovely to see and I'm here for peace a lot of the time with them and and they provide that in a beautiful way and do they just do their own thing away from you or do they tend to follow you around and look look to you for guidance I don't think they look to me for guidance and that's an interesting question because I think the goats do and I think some <laughs> like <a> scene <laughs> without looking at you going what's happening the go- yeah the goats do the goats look at me and follow me around and um, follow me around the field I've never felt like a horse owner I felt more like a guardian I want them to be here in their own existence at, at, in this space so I want them to be free to come and go as they please I don't want them to be like I'm here be be with me <laughs> do this thing for me <laughs> They, a lot of the time they choose to be with me. A lot of the time, obviously, they're coming over for food or, or some other reason. It's just something special about them choosing to spend time with you rather than being forced. How can you describe each of their individual core personalities? So we've got Albert here. Albert, is he's got a sense of humour. <laughs> he can be a bit grumpy. He's quite attention-seeking. He's a little bit nesh sometimes. I think, if, in a way, out of all the horses I've ever met, I think he'd probably prefer to live in a, a special stables where they get some beds and <laughs> they're called solariums, I think. But have a, like a life of pamper because he does just like attention all the time. But he's also... Hard life in Edale then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Poor boy. <laughs> yeah, he likes to hide from the rain sometimes, which isn't normal of a Welsh, Welsh dean. He has a massive presence... And some people see this, call him the big dark horse. There's something about him that usually brings out for people in sessions, this real strength and courage and presence. He's actually just walked out now to go and find out what's going on because uh, oh, it sounds like a delivery coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's quite judgmental in a way, which is interesting. Some people say horses aren't judgmental. He can be really kind and soft and extremely affectionate, especially with clients. He has clients that he really likes and he's very soft and affectionate with them. But he'll also give you a nudge if you're being incongruent. If you're saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, he will give you a nudge and say, no, you're not. So in that sense, he's quite judgmental. That's um, good though, isn't it? It is really, it's really useful. It's, I think you know, humans need that sometimes. <laughs> they do. You tell yourself you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Yeah. Until, <laughs> yeah. until someone goes, but really? Really? Are you sure? <laughs> well, he just kind of goes, sniffs around and goes, you're not fine. But then it, it, he's really funny as well. There have been times, I remember once I was really, really upset about something and I was crying sat on the floor thinking, this is like terrible, this is the worst thing ever. And he came and just picked me up from the bottom of, of my trousers and lifted me off the floor. And... How? Just with his teeth, just lifted me up by my trousers. I just burst out laughing and I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm making a big deal out of nothing here, aren't I, Albert? <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's Albert. Amazing. I've got goosebumps thinking about that. That's, <laughs> that's, I, need to, I need to witness more of this work with your horses. I might yeah. have to come along to one of your workshops. Sounds amazing. But also, the thing I did forget to mention is some of it is the horse's history and what happened to them or where they were before here. Albert came here at nine months old and he'd had a really good start to life from a really good breeders and he got to stay with his mum until he was about nine months old so he's really rounded he's really stable um sorry pun um and (laughs) really you know he's never known a hard day's life so that's him he's fine 
where I am in the valley, I'm really protected from by the hills and it feels like that. So when I've been at other yards in Sheffield particularly, it's so windy and you get sideways rain into your face. It doesn't feel like that here, even though on the hills, Sarah, it might be. <laughs> down here, <laughs> down here. <laughs> We're protected um, a little bit by the hills and it feels like you're hugged by being hugged by the 360 degree hills around you which is quite nice it is a lovely feeling and this barn is really interesting because the, it does protect from the weather um it's obviously been designed in a way the the south facing entrance at the front and obviously the, the way that the roof is shaped we get the sun come in it heats the barn but then it stays really cool in summer as well interestingly and i think modern buildings aren't quite as well designed but we whenever it does rain this building protects the horses from different directions which is good and was this building just already here, ready for you to... Yeah. It, don't ask me how how old it is. It's a few hundred years old. But it, yeah, it was. It, it had horses in before I came and some of it had been converted. But we try not to do too much to it. I try to keep it as rustic as possible because I quite like that about, about the space. Yeah, it does have a really, really nice feel to it. So the other horses, have they had a more challenging history would you say definitely freya in particular freya is so sweet so she's got a real motherly energy about her and that's really interesting for clients who come she sort of provides this real nurturing essence about her she's really cuddly and really just genuine but i don't know exactly what happened in her past my guess is that she ended up on a european meat wagon transported across Europe so she's I think before she came to the UK she was in Belgium where they eat horse meat and I think what happens is they see a pretty horse and then take them to England and sell them to people who like pretty horses Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's a fjord breed who originated in Norway so she absolutely loves the cold wet horrible of Edale she gets really hot sometimes in the winter because she's got such a lovely warm fluffy coat that she grows but she she definitely came with a lot of trauma she took a long time to trust people and even now she completely trusts me I, I feel that and we're we're really close and she completely trusts people that come here but if you take her off this land then she's a different horse she just she's fearful I don't think I'd ever get her back on a trailer and I don't think I'd ever want to for any reason so for her this is her safe space and now she now we have that trust she's a really safe genuine sweet girl she's very adorable and then we've got Morgana here at the moment. And Morgana is, she was wild. She was born in Dartmoor Hills as a wild pony. Again, she's absolutely fine with any weather that Edel throws at her. There's something different about because she grew up wild. So she spent the first four years of her life on the hills. Brave, bold, has quite a high fight instinct. Not necessarily with people, but I'd say with people she can be quite sassy. Well, we once had a balloon drop in the field and she went over to try and kill it. Oh my God. The other horses were like, ah, what's that? Running away. <laughs> she went to kill it. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she's, she's a bit like that with dogs that come on the land that she doesn't know she will be, you know, really, if you're going to hurt me or my friends, then I'm after you. Um, How do you kill a balloon <laughs> as a horse? Uh, stamp like, on it. Yeah. Like, she really kick it and stamp on it. And that's wow. what she was doing. And I was just stood laughing at Albert and Jack at the time, who <laughs> Albert and Jack were Welsh. D's, her Welsh D attitude is, oh shit, what's that? <laughs> oh, it's all right then, it's fine. It's not going to kill me. And that's how that's sort of how they go. They go up to 10 and then back down again. Um, whereas Morgana's just 
kill it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird, so it's a funny relationship with Morgana. It has to be on her terms, you know, or if you try and try and get into an argument with her, she'll win. So it's probably best just leaving it for that day. And yeah, she adores kids though. Completely different with kids. She adores kids and is really sweet and gentle and will do anything with them that they ask of her. So that's, that's, she's really good for the work for that reason. And what about you? What am I like? Yeah. I don't know. What's your, what's your role in this <laughs> what's little my role family this? you've got here? <laughs> in the work or? Everything. All of it. I said, uh, with the horses, I see it as, see me as being a guardian, like I said, a guardian of them and their time here. In the work, I, I'm a facilitator and I really like the word facilitate because I facilitate change for people, allowing them to make their own decisions, the, the, the people that come and the horses help guide that process. My experience, personal experiences with my own challenges, my own mental health, my own problems with self-esteem, confidence and pushing myself actually, I think that would be one, one of my own challenges which comes up which I'm able to help, help clients with. My qualifications and studying really of horses, horse management, humans, human mental health, human behaviour, you know, counselling, mindfulness and all the other things that come together. And business management, I suppose. <laughs> Where were the seeds of this idea to set up this beautiful organisation? I'd say they're probably from individual horses, in a way. And what they provided me growing up at certain times, particularly Rhea, um, who was a horse I had through my 20s. She was my best friend and my biggest guidance at that time when I really needed it. I think without her in my life, I'd be a very different person now. She kept me on on a fairly safe and sensible track <laughs> when I could have gone in very different directions, uh, and that would have been a very fun but damaging direction to take. So Rhea was this guidance for me and really showed me how much horses can have an impact on our lives. And then I came across uh, the horse boy method, which is helps children with autism. Rupert Isaacson, his son was autistic and was nonverbal and he helped train horses next door and spent time with, when his son spent time with him, he was really calm. Um, he started talking, his meltdown stopped and then he really quickly realized how much of an impact the horse's energy and presence had on children with autism. So eventually, long story short, created the horse boy method and that's where I started. I studied more about autism, trained with the horse boy and was planning to have a center very specifically for children with autism at that time. And then Rhea died and it really, really impacted me. So I suppose the seeds for Amor and Acres had started and Amor and Acres, no, Amor and Acres wasn't a thing then. It was just this concept of I wanted to change careers and I wanted to work with horses and change the relationship between my hobby to being my career. Um, so that's that's where the seed started. And what work were you doing before? I had my own company conducting market research, which was online a little bit, face to face, interviewing people, doing depth interviews and running focus groups. And it was a time I had my first child, Leo, and it was a real changing moment because I tried to take some maternity leave and when you're self-employed that's really difficult 
for lots of reasons. There's, there's a draw to pull back to work financially. There's possibly pressure from clients, pressure from other directions. And so I'd taken a small break and a client asked me if I'd do a project for them. And I said, well, look, I'm on maternity leave. I've got a young baby at home. I don't really want to do it, but I will do it. But just understand these are my boundaries. And then within two weeks, I was just stuck on the phone talking about some mindless changes that they wanted to make in this questionnaire. And I just thought, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be, this world doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, it's not important. It's not, it, some of the work I enjoyed, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't enough for me to be away from my kids. So that's, that was a real push for me thinking, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it. So I started researching equine therapy and looking at all the options. And then it's been a 10 year journey of lots of mistakes, lots of changing of mind, lots of hurdles, lots of ill health, and you know, lots of other things that got in the way to be, to get me to hit where I am today. And what's helped you through all of those different challenges? Support, definitely. And learning to seek support. So support from my husband, he's been incredible throughout because I think most people have told me to just get on with it and go and get a job. <laughs> lots of times when it's felt like it's not working out and it's not that it hasn't worked out it's it's changed and other things have been in the way and now I can look back at myself with compassion and say it's okay that it took so long that that's okay but in the middle of it there's all this pressure like I need to do it now I need to succeed I need to I need to be at a place and it's a long it can be a long journey and now I'm okay with that further time I wasn't so support from Matt because he's really just stuck by me and at times when I felt like giving up he's actually said don't wow uh, which has been really good he's known how passionate I'm about it and how much it's meant to me and how much I can make a difference to other people's lives and how important that is support from other people the rest of my family definitely and Kathy who's helped look after the horses throughout especially when I was ill or just given birth or all the times when it the, the the questions have been there should I just give up you know would the horses be better off somewhere else uh, but they've they've proved to be just doubts really in my head rather than what needed to happen tell us a bit more about Kathy Kathy how she involved Kathy is a wonderful human who she first started volunteering at Amarin Acres because she was taking care of her elderly mother in her final yeah. final few months of life and asked if she could come and help up at the horses so that she could have an escape really from, from there um, that wasn't limited by time or distance because it's so close to her house. And it's grown from there. She's my right hand a lot of the time, to be honest, um, through so many things. She helps out look after, looking after the horses she helps me with safeguarding policies. She helps me if I've just got too much in my head and I just need to go, Bleh! and she goes, right, let's do this, let's do this. She comes along to events with me to promote the business. Yeah, she's she's just been amazing in supporting me through this process, really, um, as a friend. And I call her a volunteer, but it's she's more of a friend, I think if they can be the two <laughs> the same thing yeah of course there's no rules yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's she's up here most days and did you come to edel with the, with this idea of setting up amarin acres or something similar? no it happened it happened after that 
it was this this was just meant to be personal you know for I moved here with Rhea and the the whole point of moving to Edale was so that I could be closer to where I kept my horse I lived in the middle of a city worked from home and drove out to the countryside every morning to go and look after my horse and then back into the city to work from home and then back out to the countryside in the evening to look after the horse and it just didn't make sense. So when me and Matt got married, we just, we really wanted to be, we both wanted to be closer to the countryside. Edel probably wasn't in our search radar, but it's got a Sheffield postcode. And when we first came out, we just, we literally fell in love that day. With each other or the place? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we're already in love with the place. Um, it was a gorgeous August, sunny day. Pubs were full. It had a real life about it. Um, and then th- it, this place actually really cemented with wanting to come here, the, the, the horse's land, because I was put in touch with Andrew Critchlow, who owns the, owns the space, and met him and... I remember walking across to the barn and him saying, it's not much, it's not much, It's not. there's not much there, it gets really wet here, um, there's no electricity, and I'm like, it's perfect. Not I love it. Then. Yeah, no, he really wasn't selling it. I don't think he really wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, great. I think we turned up in Matt's BMW as well, which is hilarious. <laughs> I remember driving up the drive thinking, oh, right, we broke in the car. <laughs> um, yeah, and for me, it was just a dream come true. It was like my eight-year-old self going, wow, this is amazing. Sold, don't care yeah. how bad it is. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's grown since then. It was, you know, there wasn't any fencing up. There wasn't any yard area. The the whole space was really different. So it's grown. There wasn't any of the hedgeways as well. It's really nice to look at the place now and see wildlife that wasn't here 15 years ago. See it work as a, as a, a track system. So I, I keep the horses on what's called a track system so that they keep moving and exercised and nibbling on hedgeways and things. Uh, so yeah, it's just it just grows, and that's what I like about it. The changes and and development of it as a space for working and horse care. I don't think I'd ever been to Edel. Oh, really? I lived. So your mum wasn't living here then? No, no, well, no, me and Matt came first. And since my my brother and Danny and Gabby came and then my my mum and partner came after that. Wow. No, it was it was a very I think we spent about twenty minutes even thinking about it. Let's well there's a house for rent, let's do it. You know, we were we were just spontaneously decided that we wanted to and the horse finding the horse's place was extra yeah and how do you go about buying horses or bringing horses here what's the what's the actual logistics of that how do you find out if you know if they're being rehomed and everyone's been different and i'm going through this at the moment they've quite often found me let me go back so morgana came from the animal sanctuary who I used to help with as a child and I literally just rang them and said have you got a pony of this description and she said you know we don't normally but we do right now and that seemed like it was made to be so it it really depends recently we unfortunately lost Jack who came to me through a hoof trimmer um, and we've been getting into a situation the horses aren't quite right as a three Albert's missing his friend. Um, Morgana and Freya are missing the role that Jack had within the herd. And it's felt like, it just felt a bit disjointed, really. What was Jack's between... role? <laughs> Jack's role was to challenge me every day, to teach me. I learned more from that horse than 
I don't know. I don't know. I've learned for any human, definitely, any teacher, any any, Even more any than qualification. Probably different. It's mm. very different. And so Jack came along because I'd lost Rhea. Um, I lost Rhea when I was seven months pregnant, and I knew I couldn't grieve because. I felt like I had this new role as my, from, with, with Leo, so my first child, and I felt like I had this new role that I had to take on as a mother, and I didn't have space to grieve. So I just was like, right, that's happened, that chapter's over, carry on. And within three months, the horses were really struggling because Rhea had been the matriarch of the herd, looked after them all, um, kept them, the ma- you know, kept the manners in check. And Albert was three, and he turned into like an unruly teenager. And sometimes a bit dangerous, a little bit dangerous, which wasn't in his nature. And Debbie just said, you need Jack to come and sort them out. And he did. I was suddenly there with a four month old baby going from three horses to four. And it made life loads easier because Jack was here and Jack Mm -hmm. looked after everything. And Jack told the others what to do and, you know, had a really high level of manners that everybody had to keep in check all the time, but also really challenged me every day. He was here. In what ways? Um, oh, I don't really know how to put it into words. I always tried with Jack to really, really listen to what he needed, what he wanted and what he thought. And he, he'd he always do things like, sometimes he wanted a rug on and sometimes he really didn't. And I'd check the weather forecast and go, I think you need a rug on today, mate. And he'd be like, off I'm not having a rug on and just disappear and the forecast would be wrong and nothing would happen and then the next day he'd come up and go I'm a bit cold today stick a rug on me and literally force himself into you <laughs> so he taught me how to listen to intuition and listen to really really connect with a different level of communication with the animals and a different different relationship with myself and my own body even crazy things like when I was going through my own health stuff, I, I remember one day my headaches were so incredibly bad that I was just in agony, but I did everything I could to block it out. And he kicked me. And he kicked me on my knee. And the next day I'd got a bruise like this big and I couldn't feel it. And I couldn't feel it because I'd become so good at tuning out. You were like a bit numb. The, just numb, completely mm. numb. But I could feel my head he- headaches. And that it, it was the day that I had a um, really important hospital appointment. And I'd been so used to pretending everything was fine. I remember thinking, it's not fine. If I can't feel that, but I can feel this, then it's not fine. And it gave me that courage to really stand up and say, I'm not okay. This, I'm really struggling. I really need help here. And I, he had a habit of doing things like, never kicked me before and he never kicked me again. It was just that once as if he had to sort of say, look, like wake up, cool. <laughs> wake up, feel, you know, you need to feel yourself. And he just had a way of doing that all the time. And yeah, te- teaching, he was just, he was born teacher. And with the work, he taught so many people so many things. And he even taught me how to grieve when he died in the summer. I think I I processed it in a way that I hadn't been able to before. Um, he sort of guided me through that in a, in a different way, which was really remarkable and really, really strong for me. What, so do you mean you were able to grieve about the loss of him, but also other things that yeah. you hadn't yet grieved? Yeah, yeah, it all came together. Yeah, it was really, it was really heavy, but really cathartic 
and yeah, it, it just, I don't know, he had to experience it and he was a complete legend. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever know a horse like that again. The people that knew him feel exactly the same way. It's, and, and in some ways it's a bit easier now he's gone because he used to take fencing down. He used to... Just challenging his <laughs> behavior. Challenging, yeah, challenging his behavior. Mm. And, and, you know, he'd go, right, we need to be in that field now. And I'd be like, no, you don't. We need to be in that field now. No, you don't. And then the next day the fence would be down. And <laughs> right, right, I didn't listen to you. And now I've got two days of you know electric fencing to sort out. Um, open gates, uh, untie himself. You know, he just, everything he did was... Is there a part of you that misses that? I do, but I'm okay with it. I've, I'm grateful for the time I had. Uh, a lot of people don't get to experience that from an animal. How long did you have with him? 10 years, almost exactly 10 years. There's so many Jack stories that everybody <laughs> has. And I miss it, but I'm just grateful I had it. And I feel like in a way, he left a, every horse I've had here and had in my life has had a massive impact on me as a person, my personality. And he definitely gave me the courage and um, confidence to, to do this and say, I can do this, I know what I'm doing, which I didn't have before, I think. And can you tell us a bit more about the illnesses? I think it started with me just getting a lot fati fatigued quite a lot and headaches and diagnosed with migraines. I just felt weak a lot of the time and it got progressively worse. And then I was diagnosed with a condition called POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's a combination of problems that happen, particularly when you stood up. So it felt like I was allergic to gravity. And every time I was stood up, my body just desperately wanted to be laid down. And every moment of the day that I was stood up was a real challenge. And then I'd get this horrible drawing sensation where I'd feel like I was being dragged to the ground from my head inside and in fact where we're sat now part of the reason this sofa came about was because when in my wor worst times I'd managed to walk up to the horses and then have to lay down for 20 minutes or so before I could get up again to feed them or do anything else and every time I went to the doctors it was we don't know what's wrong, you've got migraines, we'll refer you to a neurologist. We went through tests and nobody could really say what was going on. And it was so debilitating. And at my worst, I was in bed. And I'd, at this point, I'd got two young children and I was parenting from bed or on the sofa and spend, I had to spend most of my time laid down because when I stood up, I was in absolute agony. I was on various medication, various painkillers, and my back was really painful. And it was just, every, it seemed like every month a new symptom would start. Start my eyesight started deteriorating, my face started sagging, I lost feeling in, lost feeling inside of my face. I think at that point I had about 30 different symptoms of severe debilitating condition that had no explanation. And all the time I was trying to look after my children, trying to work, trying to look after the horses and other animals. And it was, looking back, I don't know how I did it. I, j I don't, at the time I thought I was failing and now I don't know how I did it because it was impossible. It absolutely impossible, the amount of pain um, that I was in. And obviously that had a huge impact on my mental health. 
And every time I was told there wasn't anything wrong, it just made me feel even worse because it made me think that I was, I was just useless. You know, you're useless because you can't cope. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You know, you, you can't cope. And I, that's when I started therapy, uh, my own therapy, because I, I remember coming back from a hospital appointment and them saying, and I'd waited four months for this hospital appointment, and they said, and I suggested to them, I said, I wonder if it's this thing I've heard of. Um, I've done my own research. I think it might be this thing. And they said, don't do internet research. You just need to go away and get on with your life and, and accept that you've got POTS. And I cried so deeply all the way back from the hospital. And I just thought, that's it. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to carry on because what is the point of carrying on in agony all the time? and it's never gonna be any different. And at that point, it didn't feel like it was gonna be any different. And I think at some point in the next few days, I came up to the horses and really cried it out and got a different response from all of them. You know, at that point we had Holly, who was always really affectionate and she was terrified of me. She was like, why Why are you in such a state? Why are you, why are you so sad? Jack probably, comforted me um Albert will have made me laugh because that's what he does and Freya would have just given me the biggest hug and you know, I, I remember just crying into her shoulder letting all of that out and then starting again and going no they're wrong I am ill and I again did my research and I went to a specialist who within I think 15 minutes of being in his office said you yeah you have you have got a CSF leak which is the thing that I thought I had and being told I hadn't, um, you've got a spinal fluid leak. We can treat it, hopefully. It's gonna take a while because the waiting list was about, I think it was about six, seven months. And it was just, the relief from that was incredible. Um, how did they know? How, how, how were they so like sure then? Because a list of symptoms and experience, mm. very experienced um, consultant who as a specialist in the in the whole country in the in the field, so just like that, it was like yeah, that is yeah, and that and I'd I'd been through therapy just to get to that appointment, just to get to that appointment. I was having therapy sessions to say, you know, you are worthwhile pursuing this. You you my self esteem was so rock bottom that I didn't even feel like I was worthy enough of this appointment. I thought I might be going. Am I going mad? I'm going to see the specialist that. Um, so it was a combination of psychotherapy and the physical things that I needed fixing in my body. I was really passionate about mind-body connection and, you know, the body keeps a score and all these reasons that I might be responsible for the physical things going on in my body. And that frustrated me. I, and I, I, I'm, I still feel very conflicted about a lot of the mind-body connection work that people do because quite often they say, oh, this is hurting. There's got to be something, you know, you've got to be something emotional going on. Sometimes we do have physical reasons for these things going on. And in my case, it was possibly from a horse riding accident, possibly from a minor car crash I had, possibly from a bone spur that I've got in my back. It caused a physical injury inside that couldn't be seen. Yeah, and it... That then I had to go through a long healing process of emotionally getting over the trauma that had been years of being really poorly, missing out on things for my children, 
no question about being able to, you know, career at that point. At that point, Amaran Acres was a registered company. And every year I'd have to write dormant on my, on my sort of an, annual accounts. And yeah. I remember was, you talking, I remember you used to talk about it and there were like occasionally little things that were going on, like getting the, what's it, like a disabled toilet you had put yeah, in, things like that. Yeah, the little things were happening. Yes. It was the constant struggle inside of, I should be doing more, I should be, it, it, that feeling of failure actually. And now looking back thinking, well, how did you even get a toilet built when you were so poorly and had all this other stuff going on? What do you think got you through? Again, support from other people, asking for help was a big thing. And, and help being there, help from friends, help from the horses, help from psychotherapist. Um, I didn't mention family, but fam family as well definitely were, were there. And and that just recognition that I was right. Mm -hmm. I did know what was going on in my body. I had accurately diagnosed it. The horses kept me going. I, I wonder if I have ha had had to give them up, which was a real possibility, What, where would I be now? And how would that be different? Because they really did help me through. And my children, obviously. And they kept me going and kept me pushing. It has been really tough. It's been a combination of my own personal journey and then my career journey. They're all mixed into one and the diff the challenges that they were with each other. The more I've learned about the condition specifically, the more angry I am. It, it's like brought up a lot of anger. Well, I'm, I'm probably okay with that anger now, probably. Mm. <laughs> but the anger, that people aren't heard, aren't listened to. And there's probably hundreds of people walking around that have been told they've got migraines, that have got a CSF leak that could be fixed, or at least they could attempt to fix it because the treatment journey is awful as well. And the more I've learned about the condition and how serious it is. I had, when I eventually had a scan, my brain was sagging into my neck. There was so, so little fluid around my brain that my brain is sagging into my neck. And that's why I felt like I was being dragged onto the ground. And that's why I needed to lay down because it's like living with a concussion all the time and then having to get up and do your normal everyday life. And a brain injury, you know, there were symptoms of brain injury that I had that have they've healed now. Although cognitively, I do think it affected me long term. I've got a lot of respect for people who live with chronic health issues ongoing. It's very challenging. It, it, it's a full time full-time role and anything else on top of that is a real achievement and it's still something that you're keeping an eye on now for yourself keeping an eye on it but i i feel healed but it's it, it's definitely taught me self-care <laughs> i teach self-care in my work i'm really passionate about self-care i have to have really good self-care otherwise yeah i do i do start to you know get get ill into a certain degree i think i think having the csf leak I'm not 100% healed. I think my body can easily suffer from some of the symptoms if I don't take care of myself. My back in particular, the muscles and the joints in certain parts of my spine need physical care. And if I don't do that, then it hurts. And you know, I have to really tune into my body. What would you say are your foundations for yourself as self-care? Checking in is a really big thing because it's different, it could be different every day, and self-compassion. Because with that, 
hopefully you'll listen listen to what you need. It could be you need some downtime. It could be that you need to spend time with friends. It could be anything else. I've actually written a bit of a book. I don't think I've got it with me to show you, but that checking in with what's going on with your body, what might that be telling you? And then what do you need as a result? What self-care needs to be put in place? So checking in is a foundation for me. What do you mean you've written a bit of a book? <laughs> <laughs> Just casually throw that in. Well, I don't really call it a book. It's more like a flip flip chart. I haven't got time to do anything with it at the moment. That's what I wrote it to try and explain to some of my clients, especially the young people, all the things that they maybe might be able to have to help them in certain situations. So it might be talking to an adult. It might be, you know, even just like having a drink of water. Mm-hmm. Sometimes where we just need to stop, pause, have a drink of water. Yes, okay, we're hydrating ourselves, but mentally we're just taking that moment's breather and checking in with ourselves and saying, I just need to pause. I hope one day it becomes a bit more of a book book, but at the moment I've just got one copy that I made myself, which I show to clients to just explain a bit more about what self-care is and checking in with those feelings and emotions. Who can you best help through your facilitation here? Somebody asked me that the other day, and I genuinely think EFL, so Equine Facilitated Learning, can help everybody. Unless you're so in touch with horses in a different way that you struggle to see their energy and guidance, and you just see them as a vehicle, then I I think it can help anybody. I particularly feel I can help young people who can really benefit from learning the skills that I didn't know about till my 20s. I didn't know what self-care was. I didn't know how to check in with myself. I didn't know how to recognize my own arousal levels or my own responses to situations. Uh, And it's really nice seeing a young person who starts, they may come with anxiety and actually they leave or they, they, they reduce down to coming less frequently and they're coming for things that they really want to work towards. You know, they've, they've changed from being really scared and having anxiety to actually having goals and achievements that they want in life. And I, I love seeing that journey. So definitely young people, but adults as well. I, I enjoy the depth which we can go to in a session with an adult, see how powerful a session might be. That some people, the adults that have been, have been in therapy for years and continue with psychotherapy, come for one session and suddenly make loads of progress. And that's really nice to see. That's that's where it can be really beneficial. I probably wouldn't advise coming if you're scared of horses, but like I said, some people do. <laughs> How do you manage that if they are? I look at why they're here in the first place. What does that mean? Why have they pushed themselves to do that? What 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 is it about coming that they need to work on? You know. Why have they chosen to face that fear now? And what can we do to facil- facilitate what they need out of? out of coming mm. and we there's no pressure at any point the first thing we always do is meet the herd and that is we'll walk out into a field and say right, i just want you to spend go and spend some time with each of the horses see what comes up for you see how you feel recognize anything that happens in your body and then you know we'll come back together they don't have to touch the horses do they want to touch the horses what does that mean do they not want to touch the horses? Do they want to keep a safe distance? Why? What's going on for them there? It all just brings up so much for them to be aware of with their own self-awareness and you know, recognising 
while they're there. So there's no pressure, you know, you can, you, we can do a session with the horses a few meters away. Can you always gauge what's going on straight away? Or do you still get really surprised by the, either the, the responses of the people who are here and or the responses of the horses? I I can gauge, this is why, why Jack, Jack was great because he'd literally have a conversation with me. He'd be like, this is what's happening. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, Jack. Um, How does a horse tell you that without, uh, obviously they I don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I find really difficult to explain because it's not, a, it's, a, it's a feeling and, a sen- and, and it's about energy. So a lot of time it's energy. Somebody may say something's happening or they're feeling something, but I can definitely see that that's not the case. And that's years of intuition. It's also being aware of the horses. Horses are really intuitive animals and they can pick up on um, definitely emotions, but they can pick up on our heart rate from a few meters away. They can recognize if we're tense anywhere. I think there's a whole nother level of things going on that we don't even know about, a spiritual level, which I ex- sometimes experience and go, wow, that was a bit, you know, um, goosebump moment. Mm. Uh, and I do still get those moments. I definitely get some wow moments where I kind of go, wow, you know, I can't believe that's just happened. I can't believe with everything I know about this client and that horse that that just happened. And I, I'm, I'm blown away often. Um, You've got an example of that? I mean, obviously not hundreds of examples. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think of... Um, an example is Morgana. She's been here years, six years. And I think I've seen her laid down three or four times because she's just a very private person. She likes to keep herself to herself. She's f- happy here, but she's just private. And a child who really struggled with connection and struggled to make relationships with the horses, one day was able to walk up to Morgana, Morgana laid down and just sit with the for about 15 minutes and I just sat watching going this is such a special moment I can see how much connection is going on for this person and I can see that Morgana is just really allowing this for whatever reason probably to help probably recognizing that that's what the person needed this morning I had a funny a funny one where a young person was talking about really talking about their feelings and really feeling quite could see that they were have to be really careful client confidentiality and everything so I'm choosing my words wisely they were feeling a bit special talking about somebody and they've worked a lot with Albert Albert's their absolute favorite horse he's always there and they've got they've created quite a nice little bond and relationship and he just put his nose up to her face and he looked like he was giving her a big kiss and he just kept it there well the whole time she was talking and it was so sweet this is the stillness that was created in that moment and affection you could really just see the affection and it was yeah that was that was just this morning because they happen all the time and i forget i forget (laughs) part of your life yeah it's part of my life and part of my work how does it feel saying or thinking about that now? You know, thinking back to that, like you said, kind of mindless market research work while you were pregnant. How does it compare to that? It feels really good. It, it warms me inside. Because I remember thinking that I wanted to do something that I felt proud of, that I felt good about when I was away from my own children and that my children could be proud of me for. 
I, I, that was that was the feeling that I had. I wanted my children to think oh, I'm really proud of what mummy does, and they do, and that it makes me feel warm and nice. And I love my job so much. I feel better after being to work <laughs> than I do not going to work. If that makes sense. Wow, um, what a feeling! <laughs> There's not, <laughs> not many all people. Of it. That not all of it. Oh, I hate. I, I don't hate. That's not fair. I, all I've talked about is the client work and the horses. There's so much more to running a business and that I do struggle with. You know, the the accounts, the invoices, the the grant applications, the marketing, the social media, the, for me, animal welfare management, each horse. It's not that I hate it, it's there's just a lot of it. I have to have a lot of hats and I'm not, speci- not specialised in all of it. You can't be specialised mm. in all of it. So again, that's somewhere that I've learned along the way is n- learning to recognise when it's actually better to say, no, I need help with that. I can't do that. I'm not very good at that. Or I'm not very good at that. I'll park it, do something else that I am good at and come back to it. And it's a lot, isn't it? Considering yeah. you've got three young children yeah and um, you've got a dog to look after <laughs> and goats now so yeah that was a stupid decision yeah goats. what's what's going on with the goats what role do no they idea play? really i've got do you know i think you <laughs> no idea um i mean they're cute they're very cute <laughs> they it's really we had goats when i was a child and they used to bully me and my brother particularly my brother mum said they used to just butt him over onto the floor all the time parents were really obviously really great at looking after us as kids that would let us get beaten up by goats all the time um but they and then when i was at the animal sanctuary for years they were the biggest headache because they escaped all the time we used to get a phone call the goats are out on manchester road in sheffield and at 10 years old i was like running down a a busy road trying to herd goats and goats don't do herding but for some reason a, a <laughs> couple of years ago I was just like just want some goats and I thought I hated them I, I thought that I really hated them but there was some reason why I just really I wonder if it was a bit of a challenge like I've, I've gone over got over being ill life's a bit easy I'll get some goats <laughs> that will challenge how me how can you say life is easy how is life easy when it you're was too easy and you just had a, it was not, obviously too easy not I thought I'd baby. get some goats <laughs> yeah oh yeah I had just had a baby as well hadn't I yeah. just had all of them the my Leo and Luca my oldest children really wanted goats as well they to be they they were a bit of a push they really wanted them and I, I thought that I thought that it was a good idea and I, I've been on the animal sanctuaries list for ages and every time they got a goat and they phone up, Jess, we've got some goats in. They're not very friendly. And I'd be like, no, I can't have not friendly goats. <laughs> That's not <laughs> not for the therapy work. It's not not going to work. And they're, they're, they're great. Though. They're really good in session. They, they, they bring a different energy. They bring a different reflection for people to look at. I've had people who whose energy is really, really low and five minutes with the goats you know and they've, they've found an energy that they may not have you know especially when people de- are depressed goats are always happy mm. and playful and energetic so they they help to find that energy inside somebody that, that we can then work on and go where can we find that this you know somewhere else in your life and uh, but then they also they I've, I've seen people lay down and use them as a pillow and they cuddle up to the people and what these two goats? these two goats really? yeah yeah and they're sort of wow moments, I think. Oh, look how calm. And they, they can be very calm and cuddly and sweet. Interesting. 
they 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 seem to be so horses have energy obviously they could be really fast and they have a stillness about them which is really magical but the goats seem to be up and down a bit quicker moment of madness love them and hate them i think the goats <laughs> it's an ongoing definitely journey. No more. if i get any more goats then i've lost the plot the plot completely <laughs> definitely so how how can people work with you what what do you offer one to one sessions can be a one off Sometimes people, like I said, get referred from their own therapist to come and work on something they may be stuck on in therapy and then go back to the therapist. They may come back again a few months later. One-on-one regular sessions. So some people come weekly and then probably drop to fortnightly if they feel like they can. You know, they may we may have worked through the, the hardest parts. It can be quite transformational quite quickly, EFL work. Uh, fortnightly and then drop to monthly or some people have who have got some quite complex issues need that weekly continuous support i do offer group sessions so i've got wellness workshops coming up and people can book in as groups as well group sessions obviously slightly different we work on teamwork or maybe confidence or communication or you know working as a family maybe working through some stresses that family the family may be experiencing it's all confidential uh, the, the work I do I have supervision and I speak to my supervisor about my clients cases and apart from that I don't um, I obviously share small snippets of stories and uh, but but that's it it's completely confidential so if you do come here nobody needs to know you've been I also offer retreats I don't think I've mentioned if, if people want to come from further afield because uh, I have had some people come from London stay for a few days we've had really in-depth sessions over those few days quite often have like a letting go where we where they may want to be let go of something that's been holding them back and then you know that's i'm probably never see them again and they go away and that that's the way that people can work with me it sounds like it must be a very emotional experience a lot of the time how do you look after yourself in between sessions when I first started with this work, I think I used to take it on quite a lot and take on the responsibility of, oh, I'm responsible for this person's well-being and it's a lot. And if they are emotional, then I experience that and take it away with me. I've become quite good at my own boundaries. We do a lot of boundary work with the horses and I have become quite good with my own boundaries and recognising that this is their stuff, this is me, and I can keep this boundary and, and barrier really I can be here to support but not to take it on board there are some triggers obviously um, especially if it's anything that I've experienced myself we call it sometimes like my own stuff I have to be aware that that doesn't come into sessions as well supervision is key especially because obviously it's all confidential but just being aware of my own my own stuff and recognizing when I may just need need a break um, and what that might look like and do you have a vision for what you want to move towards in the retirement sort of with no animals <laughs> in city <laughs> doesn't sound like you to be honest I think uh, you're no about responsibilities <laughs> a vision I see Amaran Acres at a real stage of growth now and it's really exciting it's really really exciting and it's I've all it's always been a bit of a one-man band there have been other people involved but it feels like the community's growing I my vision is that there'll be other practitioners here there'll be other horses here There'll be, you know, other practitioners bringing different skills, different experiences, um, probably different qualifications. I may want to do my own psychotherapy training. It's been something that has been there. I've sort of 
dipped in and out of. I, I did start training to be a psychotherapist at one stage and my ill health meant I had to stop. I don't know where that fits. Somatic psychotherapy is something that I'd love to do but haven't got the time or funding. Hammer and Acres being a space where people come and heal and grow and learn with their own, finding their own solutions and own way of being in life. How amazing to have this place here in Edel. Hey, the sun's, the sun's just out. come out. It's been such a misty, like, closed-in day, it hasn't, hasn't it? it? It's been very quiet, mm. hasn't it? But, mm. yeah, the sun hasn't shown its face yet. <laughs> no, it sort of warmed the barn, didn't it? Mm. My role is to help people find their own solution. It's So equine facilitated learning, we call it solution-focused and experiential where a, a human goes through the experiences of finding their own solution to whatever problem it is they come with. I find myself quite as quite a creative influence in the process, and that may be designing an, an, an activity or delving into my knowledge of already pre-existing equine facilitated learning activities to come up with a way that we can go through that process. It might be that somebody has an event that they really want to go to, but they are struggling with the anxiety that that may bring along and will get out physical obstacles. So these might be poles, cones, and say, right, what steps do we need to take before you get there? This pole may represent this first step. It might be, you know, having some practice or breaking it down into different sections. And another pole may represent going with a friend. Another pole may represent... Um, make sure you get a good night's sleep the night before. All these things that we can look at and help. My my role is to help facilitate that for that for that person in a creative process, I suppose, and then make sure the horse is involved at, at as many stages as possible. Not always. Sometimes we we spend time just talking or just exploring what that might look may look like, and sometimes the horse is absolute key to that. It's also recognizing what that person needs in that moment. Do they need some equine reflection where they just need a moment to go and process what's just happened, me to stop talking and say, just should we just go and give the horses a brush? Or maybe they come and they've got so much going on and I had a thought about doing a specific exercise and recognizing that they probably just need a mindfulness session with the horses. We may just like to plait the horses, put bows on, paint the hooves different colours and have it more of a you know calming session. Now I've been doing this quite a while, I recognise that if I plan, then it's just a complete waste of time. I'm much better just having lots of things I can, can do and facilitating anything that could happen on the day and then seeing what comes and thinking on the spot and going, right, that's how we, that's how we can solve that problem. This is the exercise we can do to do that, to help with that problem and go through it with obstacles if needed but definitely with horses sounds like you're following your intuition at yeah, all times yeah but also recognizing what that client needs that day because everything can change in a week we can do something one week and i'll think right okay so next week we'll pick up on that and they come and they're like awful week this has happened oh great week okay great week let's work on something a bit more challenging this week because you've got the capacity to do that this week and sometimes it might be that they definitely don't have that that day you know that day we may have had a thought or talked about working on something and then they get in, they just they just need support and nurturing. And, and I, you know, I, I, I can almost always tell by the time they've walked in the yard, if Freya walks over to them and puts her head down, 
and gives them a cuddle, I can probably tell if I've had a bad week. It's like this amazing network that you've got. I suppose it is a network, an energy network of us all listening and wanting to heal. What's the actual training that you've done? Everybody calls what I do equine therapy or horse therapy. All of my clients call it horse therapy, and I don't. <laughs> I call it equine facilitated learning. There, there's some quite strong viewpoints that because equine facilitated learning practitioners, we are mental health support workers, but we're not qualified to work with severe trauma or com- really complex mental health issues. We're here to guide, we're here to support, but we're not here to, to treat in that way. So. I have trained with Horseboy Method, so I've trained to work with children with autism through the Horseboy Method. I'm qualified to do that and qualified to run Horseboy Camp. I then went on to train in a gala, which is the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association, as an equine specialist, to work alongside therapists, psychotherapists, in a very specific mental health capacity, working with trauma, but not on my own. And then more recently, I did a diploma in equine facilitated learning with LEAP, which is something I'd wanted to do for years. It was like the the big badge of honor, really, it felt like, because LEAP are a really good organization with an extremely good model of equine facilitated learning with a lot of support, a registered, recognized qualification. I'm a LEAP EFL practitioner qualified. I've then done some counselling training, mindfulness training, autism training, horse care, horse behaviour training, you know, all these little bits that come in. I'm even learning about goats now. <laughs> that doesn't I'm not me. even joking. My late night reading at the moment is all about goat health and goat goat care and everything, <laughs> which I'm thinking about. <laughs> I should have learned before getting them. I know, but my bad. But um, I am I'm doing better. Uh, because, learning yeah, as you go. The animal welfare is a huge part of it. They have to be happy, healthy and fit for the work and want to do it. Otherwise, they're not going to engage with, with people that come. What question would you ask somebody who is considering a change in direction or doing something they really have wanted to do for a long time? Do you really want this as a career, your day in, day out, or do you want it as a hobby? If you want to make money out of it, you need to really consider if that's possible. Because if you really like doing something, it might be that you just you want it as a hobby rather than your day-to-day life. And actually, when it becomes your day-to-day life, you stop enjoying it so much. So my, my question would be, is your passion, because you want more of that in your life, and can you achieve that, or do you want to change career? Where do you feel you're at with that now? I've been back and forth a few times, and I'm definitely that I do want it as a career. Yeah. You're in a good place then? Yeah, I think so. Some, most of the time. <laughs> Depends what mood the goats are in. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid of trying and gaining that experience of what would it what would it look like for me to be in that role. And if you can't visualize it or go and experience it. Go and do it. Go and volunteer or go and go and interview somebody who has the role that you think you dream of to find out if it really does fit with who you are authentically and, and see if that's right. And then explore how it's going to look. 
How is that going to look? Is it going to be a business? So I'm, I'm registered as a community interest company because we ha we're a not-for-profit and I see that we have charitable goals. I don't want to be a charity. I don't think that fits with Amaran Acres. Being self-employed was an option. Have, having a limited com private company was an option. Explore what your options are and, and see how you fit with that as well because this is if you are wanting to change career and be self-employed. If you're wanting to change career and go and work for somebody else, like I say, just go and get as much experience as you can and find out even Facebook groups, you know, Facebook groups for your chosen career. Find out what the tribe looks like. What would it be like for you to be that person that you see yourself in in the future? I think part of my passion were when I first started and one of the seeds with Amber and Acres was that I felt so fulfilled and loved spending time with the horses. I wanted to be able to share that. It felt like it felt selfish to keep it to myself, and I wanted to be able to share this amazing space because we are surrounded by gorgeous views. The you know the looking at the hills every minute is different, and it's just so stunning. It's so private because we're not on a road. It's so peaceful and calm, and away from you know all civilization. And you can be here all like most of the day and barely see anybody. And that's and I wanted to be able to share that and share what the horses bought. And that was a real passion for me when I was starting to think about Amaran Acres. Even though I live in Edale, this is a different part. This is a completely different experience yeah, it to is, anywhere it? else. I mean, yeah. when we were outside cleaning up a few bits, like props from this morning, I said to you, didn't I? Wow, it's so, yeah. so peaceful it here. It is so peaceful. And it's, it's even peaceful when the weather's not great. It's the horses bring a real peace, and I don't. I, I would just imagine that somebody walked around this land and thought, "Put a barn there. <laughs> it's mm. you know protected by the hills, and it's it just creates this gorgeous, peaceful space. And every, almost everybody that comes gets that straight away. And I laugh at Andrew when he says nothing much. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm putting on an accent that he doesn't even have. But <laughs> <laughs> so I want to mention Andrew if I can. Other people who have tried to set up similar to what I have done over the last few years have almost always come across problems with the landowner if they're renting land. And I've been so fortunate in it feels like I've always had support from Andrew. He's always been really honest with me. I feel like he's always he's always a phone call away. I don't think I've ever rang him and he's not got back to me within an hour. And he's such a busy human being. It's incredible. It's usually it's rarely important. Um, and I actually don't want my own land because I can't imagine being somewhere without that support of a landowner who knows what they're doing. They know everything. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I'd be terrified of having to leave. You know, if I, if I had to leave this space with Amaran Acres, because we outgrew outgrew what could happen here or we needed better access or anything like that. It would always terrify me to start that relationship again because Andrew's been amazing. He's more than a landowner, he's a friend. He's given guidance. And he's really, he's really funny as well. Like I said, Andrew, can I get some goats? And he said, you're not having pygmy goats <laughs> because they escape all the time. <laughs> And, and I think he did say, why do you want goats? But he did sort of go along with it as well. And he's, you know, he's been really helpful and supportive with that because I didn't know what I was doing. So he was, ad he was great advice. He's great advice with the horses if needed. He, he I think he, he genuinely cares about the horses as well. In fact, when a horse was ill, 
he was the first person to notice and rang me. Nobody else was here and he spotted it and rang me straight away. I'm fortunate in that respect because other people have been through the hurdle of finding a good place to set up. And that, that's, the, that's fortunately something I haven't had to go through. I love that the thread that I'm noticing throughout this interview is that you've had support, you've had great support, you know, through yeah. illness, through um, having this place. Yeah from yeah, all these um, and from your own family yeah and i think that can be the hardest thing to recognize that you need or to ask for sometimes yeah. yet it's it sounds like that has what that is you kind of like your anchor like yeah i wouldn't have been able to, to do any of it without that support it's hard though it's really hard to recognize that's self-care mm. that is self-care recognizing that everybody needs support everybody and people are more likely to support you than you think and it could be support in so many different ways. If you, you know, if you, if you feel like you need to achieve something and it looks too hard, get support. And it might, it might look like business support. I think we've we've both been, mm. you know, along to business support um, events and found support in that way. I'm currently going through business, different kinds of business support with marketing consultant and things to try and try and grow an area that I've, I'm struggling with. You can't do it all on your own in any way shape or form and getting support is really important and hopefully we provide support feels like a little sanctuary here yeah it's a space that's where acres comes from and I, when i was choosing the words i wanted it to be sort of a, a, a safe space rather than a center or a stables or a barn or anything else so that's why i really wanted the word acres it's just a space. What's the significance of Amarin? Amarin was Rhea's first name. So Rhea was called Amarin Acres and because she really did inspire me, I wanted to name Amarin Acres after her. Um, a lot of horses, when uh, they have two names, so Albert's name is Briggle and Erin, not even Albert, but quite often they are something and then there's what's called stable name, their day-to-day -day name. So I had to go to her breeder and ask please can I use the name Amarin because it's a registered name. Lovely um, name. And luckily they said yeah and they were really supportive of it being used in this way which is really really good. And that's, that's where the name came from. Lovely. Thank you for listening to About the Adventure podcast. Take a look at the Amarin Acres website and Instagram account for more information on Jess's work including retreats, family visits and wellbeing workshops. Thanks to Jess for sharing your truly inspirational story.